Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We are so glad that you're here. We're winding in our series called Jesus Changes Everything. There's never been anyone to walk the earth like Jesus. What do we know about him? We know that Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem and right behind a local inn. That the angels came and announced his birth to the shepherds. We know that uh, the magi from the east followed the star so that they could come worship him. That Jesus, from the very beginning, that Jesus was no ordinary child. In fact, prior to his birth, Jews, uh, Jewish prophets had prophesied that a Messiah would come. Even 50 prophecies, upwards to a thousand years prior to his birth. And Jesus met those prophecies. And so in this series, we're talking about who is Jesus and really what did he come to do? And so we start that. If you're new to Stevens Creek, you receive that worship guide when you walked in the door. And if you open that, you'll have some fill in the blanks and kind of you'll follow with me as we go through this. Here's the first one. When you know who Jesus is, you'll see who he's calling you to be. Now, last week, uh, we focused on the story about how the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd to get to Jesus. She simply wanted to feel better. She wanted to be healed. She believed that the Messiah was coming with healing in his wings. When we were singing that a couple of minutes ago, I was thinking about that, that story that, that she reached out and touched the kanathim, which the, those tassels, and she believed that there was healing in, in his wings. She had faith, and that's what it took. Now, today is Palm Sunday, and I want to focus on a story that I believe is the tipping point for Holy Week. It's the story from John chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. And I really believe this is a tipping point for, uh, for Holy Week. About 20 years ago, Malcolm Gladwell came out with a revolutionary business book called uh, Tipping Point. Now, the tipping point explains how ideas spread truly like epidemics. Uh, this happens when a few elements come together and they help uh, this idea develop some critical mass and then there's a viral effect that comes that makes this idea unstoppable. When I think about that and the, the essence of Malcolm Gladwell's book, I think about the, the story of John chapter 11, the story of, of Lazarus. And you will see that this really became the tipping point for Holy Week. Now, uh, after... Um, the story of Lazarus unfolded, it caused such a stir in the religious community that they, they met together and said, hey, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. And so we see how this story just really galvanized uh, the religious leaders and, and put in motion those events of Holy Week, which we're starting today. So let's unpack the story. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 11, we're going to begin reading with verse 1. It's the story of Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. 
So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, these were close friends, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, this is always interesting. It's interesting that when you read a verse of scripture and then you, you see something in it, that causes you to scratch your head and say, why is that like that? And this is, in this verse, it's this. When he was, um, he stayed there where he was two more days. Now, why would he do that? I mean, this is his good friend, Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick. I mean, don't you think Jesus could have changed his plans and made it over to, uh, from Bethany over to Jerusalem to, to check on his friend? Or how about this? Jesus had been known, especially in the story of Jairus and his daughter. Jairus said, hey, my daughter's sick, but I don't need you coming over to my house, Jesus. All I need you to do is send the word. And when Jesus sent the word, Jairus' daughter was healed. So, in essence, in this case, Jesus could have just simply sent the word and say, today, Lazarus is healed, but he did not do that. And you scratch your head and you say, why? Why did he wait? Why did he delay in going to see his friend, Lazarus? Delay. You ever had a delay when you're working with God? When you're having this conversation, maybe you're offering up prayers and for whatever reason, it seems like it's like the heavens are silent, that your prayers can't get past the ceiling, that that there's just this major delay. Well, here's the point. God's delays are not necessarily his denials. God's delays are not necessarily his denials. Now, let's just unpack that a little bit. Sometimes I believe that when we offer up a prayer, God presses pause on that prayer because he is teaching us um, what it means to trust him. He is really, at this point, maybe he's testing our faith. He wants to us, he wants to see if we really trust him in this. At other times, God delays so that we can modify our request. Oftentimes, that original request that we throw up to God or we offer to God is not really legitimate. And as we understand the situation a little bit better, then our, our prayers become clearer and we start to modify ours to line up with God's will. Sometimes God delays answering our prayers because um, he's teaching us patience. Now, what is patience? Patience is accepting a difficult uh, situation without giving God a deadline to remove it. Patience is accepting a very difficult situation without giving God a deadline to remove it. Patience, he's teaching us that. When Jesus waited two days, uh, the disciples, they were scratching their heads. They were confused. They didn't understand. They said, why do we have to wait two more days? I mean, this Jesus, Lazarus is your friend. 
I mean, we have seen you heal people that you don't even know. And here's somebody you know and you love. And instead of going over to his house, we're hanging out here for two days. We don't get it. We don't understand it. What's up with that? Well, Jesus used every situation, I believe, to teach his disciples what it means to believe, what it means to have faith, what it means to trust. And he was using this delay. And when the timing was right, he looked at his disciples. He said, come on, let's go. Let's go. And they made their way to Jerusalem. Now, when they got to Jerusalem, what they discovered is the situation was worse than they thought it was going to be. You see, the disciples knew that Lazarus was sick. We pick up the story in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So just think about this. They heard that he was sick. They hung out and they waited for two days. And now they get there after traveling to Jerusalem. Now they get there and they found out that, that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now, why is this significant? It's significant because Jesus was dealing with a superstition that was floating around in the culture of that day. A Jewish superstition that says that when a person would die... Now, this is not biblical. This is a superstition. Okay? That uh, the Jewish superstition is that when a person would die, that their spirit would hang out near the tomb for three days. And by the, on the fourth day, that spirit would leave and go into the afterlife. And so that's why. Uh, and then after four days, that's when the body would start to decay. And it was really said that, hey, that this, fo- this guy, this person is dead. In Abbeville, we would say he was graveyard dead. Okay? That this person was graveyard dead. Now, when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, Martha, um, Lazarus' sister, came running out and said, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. So immediately, she blamed God, blamed Jesus for not getting there on time and answering their needs. Blaming. How many times do we do that? That when our needs are not met as we feel like they ought to be met, oftentimes we get mad at God and we blame Him. And that's exactly what Martha's doing here. She said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Blaming God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so desperate in a situation that you've offered up prayer after prayer after prayer and you uh, become intensely frustrated because your prayers are not being answered? I've been there. I know what that feels like if you've been there. I mean, I'm, I'm there right now. I, I, I see uh, over the last several months, I have prayed prayers on a daily basis. Standing in faith, believing that God's going to answer them, and I have not seen the answers. I have not seen them. 
And it's almost as if God is saying, okay, I'm going to take you, Marty, and I'm going to put you over here in the waiting room. And I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. But oftentimes God takes me and says, I want you to sit over here for a season. I am putting you in the waiting room. And so we're waiting for those answers to come. Some of you have been praying for your spouse to be saved and, and, and you hadn't seen that happen. Some of you have been praying for a loved one to be healed and you haven't seen that happen. Some of you have been praying to overcome a temptation and it seems like that you've fallen once again and you're falling in the fire of that temptation again and again. And so in frustration, we can relate to Martha and say, God, why? Why aren't you answering our prayers? Now, just very practically, there's, there's a number of reasons that God does not answer prayers. And, and here's three very quick ones. Why didn't God answer your prayer? Could it be that maybe you have a, a broken relationship here? Say, what does that have to do with prayer? It has a lot to do with it. Let me explain. Maybe you're in a relationship or you have a relationship that is not what it needs to be. And that relationship, that tension, that, that issue is hindering your prayers. Maybe it's with a brother or sister. Maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's somebody, an old friend. Maybe it's somebody uh, from your life at work. And that situation, that toxic situation is hindering your prayers from being answered. He said, really? Yeah, we see this in Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. 24 and 25, it says, Therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive it, and it will be yours. Now, I love this verse. This is the kind of verse that, that I'm going to print out and I'm going to put so that I can see it constantly because I love this verse. But you need to go to the next part of it, too. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone. Now, I don't like that. This is the section of the verse I would like to take an exacto knife and cut out out of the Bible because I don't want this part. If you hold anything against anyone, I want you to forgive them. Now, I don't want to do that. I've worked hard to, to maintain this grudge against this person. And he's saying, well, if you hold anything against anyone, you've got to forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, let's go a little bit step um, deeper in this. You know, maybe this broken relationship, maybe it's not out there somewhere. Maybe it's closer to home. And Peter has something to say about that. He's speaking right to to your family life. He's speaking to husbands. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. This is important. You know, you may not always get along with the person you live with. But you've got to learn to come to the place where you treat that person with respect. Knowing that that person has feelings and has thoughts and has intentions. And and you've got to learn to allow that person to feel that. Not how you feel, but allow them to feel their feelings. And so you've got to treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you under the gracious gift of life. What? So that, 
so that nothing will hinder your prayers. It works together. Sometimes we can see that our prayers are not being answered because we have so many toxic relationships with with people and those relationships are hindering us from getting a prayer through. And you say, hmm, let me think on that one. And that is a big one to think about. Here's, uh, here's the second one. Why doesn't God answer your prayer? Maybe you simply don't believe that God will. I mean, you, you don't believe that God can really answer prayer. Now, we see examples of this in Scripture. In Mark chapter 9, uh, a father comes uh, to Jesus. Uh, he, first of all, went to the disciples. And he, he has this son who is possessed by an evil spirit. And that spirit was tormenting the boy. And the father did everything possible to try to get help for the boy. And so one day he took him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't help him. Then he took him to Jesus. And he said this to Jesus in Mark 9. He said, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He's looking at Jesus. Now, if you can, and Jesus kind of called him on that. He said, if you can, if you can, look, everything is possible to him who believes. This is what we learned last week. There's a big difference between believing that God can do something and believing that God will do something. There's a big difference between believing that God can do something and God will do something. And so many times we may approach God in prayer, but in the back of our mind, we have doubts that it'll ever work. We have doubts that it'll ever happen. And those doubts are hindering our prayers from being answered. Why didn't God answer our prayers? Maybe we don't believe he will. And that maybe raises a question for us as a church. As a church, do we believe that God answers prayer? Don't answer that question. Because if we really believe that God answered prayer, that maybe we would pray more. Let that sink in. If we really believe that God answers prayer, then maybe we would pray more. I said there's three reasons, at least three reasons, why God doesn't answer prayer. Here's the third one. Maybe God has something better for you. Could it be that God has a better plan? He has something better for you, for your family, for your life. In 1 John chapter 5, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. And whatever we ask, we know that, um, that we have whatever we ask for. Now, we know we can ask God and he's going to supply the need. But I believe sometimes he pushes pause on our request because we are going after the good thing when God has something better for us. That God has a better plan. That God loves us enough not to give us everything that we ask for. God loves you enough not to give you everything you're asking for. Now, probably 20-something years ago, Garth Brooks came out with a song. And, and if you're under 
40, you probably don't know this. If you're over 40, uh, we can just sing it along, okay? Uh, he had a number one song called Unanswered Prayer. And his interesting story behind that song is um, that he went to a high school football game from his alma mater, and he's at the game, and he sees this girl that he remembered from high school. And he remembered that he used to pray that God would give that girl to him and that that girl would eventually become his wife. And so roll the clock forward. Now he's going back and he sees her and he's saying under his breath, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, for not answering my prayers. So his, his line is some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? A few years ago, Patty and I went to a college reunion, and, um, and I stayed at her parents' house to watch a ball game, South Carolina, Arkansas. I still remember the game. Um, but she went over to campus, and when she came back, she was so excited to see me. Uh, her and her cousin came beaming in, and she told me who she ran into. She ran into my old girlfriend. And she was so excited to tell me and explain to me in no uncertain terms that I made the right choice. Well, turn to the person sitting beside you and say, you know what? You're somebody's unanswered prayer. (laughs) Just kidding. You know, prayer is not getting God to do something for us, but it's learning how to surrender our lives and our will to his will. Over the last several months, I've been praying uh, almost every day, God, help me to get up under what you have put over me. Now, that's a prayer of submission. That's a prayer of surrender. God, I want to get under those things that you have placed over me. And I think about that. I think about, God, you are Jehovah Shalom. As we, uh, you are the Sar Shalom. You're the, the Prince of Peace. I want to get under those things you've placed over me, I want to get under your peace. See where I'm going with this? And so we've got to come to the place where we say, God, we're going to surrender our will and let your will be done. Because could it be when we surrender to God's will that God has a better plan for us? Here's the point. Sometimes God will allow your situation to get worse just so that he can make room for a bigger miracle. Because God's timing, his timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Sometimes God will allow your situation to get worse. So that he can make room for a bigger miracle. This is what happened with Lazarus. Jesus and his disciples, they stayed back two days. Then they made the trip over to Lazarus' house. And Mary and Martha came running out. Why, did, why didn't you come earlier? He's already dead. If you had gotten here, he wouldn't have been dead. Jesus at this point. He wanted them to experience more than a healing the sick kind of miracle. Jesus wanted them to experience a raising the dead kind of a miracle. 
And that's what happened here. Jesus went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And he said, I want you to take away the stone. But Martha said, no, no, don't do that, Lord. Don't do that. By this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. They took away the stone and Jesus prayed a prayer. And then he called out in a loud voice. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. I've heard many preachers say that in that on that day, if he had not said the word Lazarus, that every dead person in that cemetery would have come out. But he said, Lazarus, come out. Then what? The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's another interesting line. Take off the grave. Let's go back here. Come out. The dead men came out. Now, when we think about spiritual uh, stories like this, I think the Bible gives us these spiritual stories because they relate to where we live today. You say, well, how does this relate? Because you see, all of us have been dead in our sins and trespasses and Okay, all of us have been dead. The message of Easter is Jesus came back to life so that you and I can be raised to new life in Jesus. Last Sunday, we baptized 15 people. 15 people went through the waters of baptism and they went public with their faith. Now, when we dipped them into the water, it was a symbol to saying you are dead now to your sins. And then I pulled him up and said, now you're raised to new life in Jesus Christ. We're telling the story just in the the movement of baptism. So when this dead man, Lazarus, comes from death to life, that is symbolism, knowing that when Jesus calls us, we go from the deadness of our sin to a new life in uh, Christ. We're called out. That's what it means to be the church. The word church in the New Testament is ecclesia, which means the called out one. Jesus called Lazarus out. He came from death unto life. And we get that. We understand that, right? But we don't understand the next few sentences. When he said, he looked at Lazarus and he said, Now take off those grave clothes and let him go. Now, in those days, they would have two types of grave clothes. One they would wrap the body with and then one they would wrap the face with. Jesus is saying he is no longer dead. He doesn't need to be wrapped up with those things of his past. He doesn't need to be held captive or held bound by his previous condition. He is no longer dead. Take off those grave clothes and let him be free. 
Here's my point. I have seen so many people go from spiritual death unto spiritual life, and they are saved by the blood of Jesus. They've received the gift of the forgiveness of sin, but they're walking around with grave clothes of their past, their past thoughts, their past lives. They're like grave clothes that become weights that hold them back. And Jesus is saying to them, I want you to take off the grave clothes. I want you to be free. I don't want your past to be a hindrance to your future. I don't want you to be weighted down with the negative thoughts and the negative choices and the negative lives that you've lived. You can be free. So many people walk around with the forgiveness of Jesus, but they live defeated lives because their past experiences are holding them back from being the person that they've been called and created and saved to be. Here's the point. We know a lot about being saved, don't we? Jesus saved me and he washes our sins away. What about this taking off the grave clothes? What's that about? Could it be that Jesus is talking about the concept of sanctification? We know a lot about salvation, but what is sanctification? Sanctification is that when we are set apart, it, um, it is when the old person inside of us dies and that new person rises up, that we sanctify, that we're set apart. Here's the point. God has called you to be set apart. God has sanctified you to be a part of his family, to be a part of his kingdom. And if we are sanctified and set apart to be a part of his family and his kingdom, why are we still living like the former kingdom that we just left? The problem is, is the church looks too much like the world. There's just no difference. And God has called us to be set apart. God has called us to be sanctified. God has called us to, be, uh, to look like Him. But yet we don't want that. We want to we just merge in. We want to be like everybody else. We want to look like them. We want to do the things they do. We just want a little bit of Jesus in us so that we can have some fire insurance that will keep us out of hell. That's what we want. But that's not what you've been called to. You've been called out. You've been called to be set free. God has a better plan for you. He's the better life for you. But too many times we play, uh, we play our lives and decisions so close to the world and the culture that we just merge right in the culture. And our lives are no different. God has called you to separate yourself from the world. He's called you to come out from among the world and be separate, to be different. So that we can go back into the world and be a light. That we can share hope. Take off the grave clothes. Take off the grave clothes, those things that are holding you back. Your past life is holding you back and keeping you from being the person he has saved you to be. Take off the grave clothes and let's march into freedom. You say, well, I don't know how to do that. Now, if I could be that, I would, yes. Well, here's three things I want you to do. Three simple steps to freedom. Taking off the grave clothes. First of all, I want you to take it to God. 
Now, first of all, what, define this. What is it? I don't know. You've got to define that. What is it in your life? What is that thing? That thing that becomes a weight. That thing that is holding you back. That thing that is keeping you embraced in your former way of living. That thing that every time you do it, you feel worse. What is it? Whatever that it is, you've got to take it to the Lord. You've got to take it to God. You've got to come clean. And today is the day for you to do that. Say, God, I'm coming clean. I'm going to take this to you. I've done all I can stand. I can't stand this anymore. I'm giving this to you. Here's the second thing. You've got to take it public. Now, when I talk about taking it public, I don't want you to announce this on Facebook this afternoon. It is not anybody else's issues. But I need you to get a friend one or two friends that you can confide in, that you can talk through in, and that you say, hey, I, I need you to pray with me. I need you to help me when I fall. I need you to help me with accountability. You need to help me to live this life. And for all that to happen, you've got to come clean with somebody. We talked about last week. Confess your faults one to another. And you'll be healed. And the third and final thing, I want you to take it down. How are you going to do that? You're going to do what you can do. You're going to do the possible. Then I believe that God is going to give you the power of His Holy Spirit. He's going to give you the strength so that when that old life knocks on your door, you're going to say, Nope, I am not answering that call because that is a former life. I am, I am a new person in Christ. I am marching ahead. I am going forward. I am standing with Him. I'm not going back there. And you're going to make up your mind that you're not going back there because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you and give you the strength to get through this and to be victorious through it all. You're going, you can take it down. You can get over this. You can get past this. I know this because you are not alone. But the power of the Lord is here to go with you. The power of God. Our time is up, but I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit, move upon this auditorium right now. I pray for those watching online. I pray that your presence would be so strong that it would captivate our attention. And to those people here today that have never been saved, that they would say, Jesus, I need help. Save me. Say this, say, forgive me of my sins. Say this, say, make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. And Father, I pray for those people who are saved, but they are walking around with grave clothes. And I pray right now that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit would move upon them and give them strength. Give them strength to live the new life they've been given. Father, I come against any type of spirit that would be 
hindering their progress. Satan has no authority over you. He has no power over you. The name of Jesus makes the darkness tremble. And so we proclaim this, not in our own name, but we proclaim this in the strong name of Jesus. And we receive your power and we pray this and believe this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Be blessed. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.